You know, it's kind of customary for me to fall in love with my nurse. Well, then just think of me as your doctor. I think it's just a sprain. Have you ever broken it before? Probably. Probably. Say it was a jogging accident. It happened about two days ago, okay? Do you heal fast? Look, I performed both legs in a cast and my back in a brace. Who needs to heal? I know people have paid to watch you crash. But we're paying you to come through. Now, you cut it much too close with that van, and look what it got you. How are you going to behave? Or do we have to find another dive? You sure there's no German blood in you? I win my wars. Welcome to the Bloody Pit. I once again am Rod Barnett, and, and today I am with. Oh wait, don't interrupt me! <laughs> Jesus H Christ! I missed my cue already. It's horrible. We may have to start again. No, we won't. I always get complaints about being premature. <laughs> <laughs> All your life. No. <laughs> no, with me once again to talk about Antonio Margariti films is the great. John Hudson. Yay, here I am. <laughs> I, I, just, I feel like I just introduced you on a game show. Yay, mm. I'll come running down the aisle. Coming running down the aisle wearing an inappropriate t-shirt they have to fuzz out, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's normal, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord, daytime television. Go rot in hell. Oh, anyway. Uh, folks, tonight we are all back once again to talk about Antonio Margariti films. Um, this one's from the 1970s. The tail end of the 1970s. And uh, there's a lot of interesting things to say about this one. This one kind of stands out in some odd ways from uh, other Antonio Margariti films. Both kind of budget-wise and and in some strange and interesting ways. Still lots of miniatures. Mm -hmm. Lots of miniature work. But we'll get to that in a few minutes. I like to think that there are just legions of adoring fans out there. For Antonio Margariti or me. Both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if only it were true. Nevertheless, uh, it's been an interesting summer so far. Uh, I still have, as you can probably tell, a lingering head cold, so uh, I don't sound quite as cool as I did for a while, because it's, it's getting better. But I still don't sound quite like myself. Uh, I was more of a jazz overnight ride. Hey, <laughs> musical star streams all night long here <laughs> in the bloody pit. Would it, would it, would it, be, the, it would be the FM version of myself? Yeah. Is that what it yeah. would be? Uh, but I would like to stress that uh, the last uh, when I put out the Fu Manchu episode, uh, I was in the throes of, of a heavy duty head cold, and I did get I did get several emails from many people uh, asking uh, if I was okay. Uh, to which I had to reply to all of them. It's just a head cold coupled with uh, allergies. So if I don't sound quite like myself uh, in the future, I'll try to allay whatever fears might uh, naturally crop up. Sorry, folks. Uh, I try to ignore the uh, varieties of ways in which my voice can get all screwed up. Uh, but I didn't know I was going to panic folks. Or at least have them laughing at me. Probably laughing. Mostly laughing. <laughs> but uh, what have you seen lately that is worth speaking about, sir? Anything intriguing or worth worrying about? Well, I haven't got to see a lot lately um, because 
I'm, I'm sorry, ladies. Brace yourself. I got married. Oh yeah, you got hitched. Ago. Yeah. Yes. So, congratulations again. So the my long suffering um, fiance, well, she's gone from girlfriend to fiance to now wife, Laura. I, I honestly thought you were going to say my long long suffering nightmare is over. What? No. 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 Hers is just beginning. <laughs> Poor Laura. <laughs> but we've gone through the wedding and the honeymoon, so now we're slowly but surely integrating. 50 years plus of geekdom into her house. <laughs> oh, yes. It's it's a slower process, so it's taken up a little bit of time. So I haven't got to see as much lately as I would like, but I have seen one really great movie, huh. and that is Train to Busan. Have you seen this? As a matter of fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I did sit down in front of Netflix and see Train to Busan myself, yes. And your thoughts, sir? It was terrible. No, I'm kidding. Why you? No, Train to Busan is actually, uh, it's everything I had heard and more. It is an excellent, excellent uh, zombie action movie. Yeah. I totally agree. And that and those aren't words that get me a running these days, zombie not really. action. Because not really. There, there are still, you know, there's great zombie films out there, and I love yeah. them, but zombie films now is like everybody with a cam, well, not a camcorder, everybody with a phone thinks they can make one. Yeah. And doesn't mean they should, but this movie is great. It really is fantastic. Um, the the what them Koreans gonna do good next? Don't know. I'm I'm kind of a fan of the Koreans. Uh, the South Korean film industry has been pumping out a lot of fantastic films for geez, what is it going on? Fifteen years? Now? Yeah, I think so. Just amazing, amazing stuff. I rarely am disappointed. Uh, although I am one of those rare people who was not enamored of Snowpiercer. Uh, I just it didn't it just didn't strike me right. Mm-hmm. I mean I didn't I didn't think it was terrible. It just did not Snowpiercer didn't work for me. It didn't sell itself. I never really believed it. Uh, and I know it, which is a really strange thing since Snowpiercer's a, a really giant train long allegory in the first place. But I just never bought into it, and I don't know why. It just I mean, never seemed real enough for me to invest in. I was kind of that way. I mean, it was no super train. That's for sure. <laughs> God, no, you don't have, just because we're doing a film from the 70s does not mean all of your references have to be from the 70s. People, strike the term Super Train from your memory if possible because it will do you no good to know what Super Train is. (laughs) It it won't. It really will not do you any good. Oh my God. Anyway, Super Train to Busan was really good. (laughs) Super Train to Busan. Oh, now I'm imagining the mashup and it's just gotten worse. Folks, I'm going to relieve myself of the pain that this is causing me. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we won't be talking about a a fast-moving, action-packed zombie movie. No, we'll be talking about a rip-off of Piranha. Or would it be a rip-off of Jaws? Or Or is it... What is it exactly? What what is Killer Fish? I don't know. I'm not sure either. Uh, Find out in a minute. This is Bobby Hazard here, along with... Uh, the Colonel. And we're here to tell you about the Spring Break Forever Podcast Network. See, we got this one podcast where we talk about movies you can watch for free on the internet called No Pants Sunday. We also have my own personal podcast called I Hate Music. 
And we also talk about uh, music and other stuff on No Pants Sunday that involve that No Pants lifestyle. <laughs> and we also have another podcast about Alice Cooper that I host with a bunch of people called Coopercast. And in the future, we're going to have Beat on the Cast, which is a Ramones podcast. Will there be a podcast about an Alice Cooper movie to tie us all together? I don't know. Tune in to find out. Spring Break Forever Podcast Network. Yes, uh, we're on iTunes. iTunes. Stitcher. Uh, yes, Stitcher. Ah. <laughs> Bay. That thing. And wherever else we'll mirror our RSS feed. Suckers. And we also have a Tumblr page, springbreakforeverpodcast.tumblr.com. Check it out and enjoy the rest of the bloody pit. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. That sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see. Fish from 1979. I love saying this. It's an Italian, French, Brazilian co production <laughs> directed by Antonio Margariti. That means there was a whole lot of people throwing money into a pot to make this thing work. I wonder if they were happy with what they got. Now, that I'm curious about because I've not been able to find definitive information about how well this film did in the box office. My suspicion is that, of course, it was probably not a very big-budgeted film, and I think that in this case, with this particular film, a fair amount of the budget may have gone to a couple of the people involved in it because at the time they were names. Mm -hmm. Now, they were names because of television, but they still would have been able to command a certain dollar figure, especially to be coaxed into going all the way to Brazil to shoot a movie. Yeah, Which, and, Lee, and Lee Major still had that Norseman mystique on him at that point too. So. <laughs> Here's a, okay, uh, let, let, let's get past this. For let, let, let's just start off with saying that Lee Majors is the the male lead of this star. And if you are unaware, I don't know how, but maybe you're just too young to know this. Uh, Lee Majors uh, is a major television star. As a matter of fact, uh, over three decades, he starred in three extraordinarily popular television series in the '60s. He was in a, uh, a TV, series, TV series called The Big Valley, mm -hmm. and uh, he became a television star on that, and that show lasted, I don't know, five or six years, something, something like, like that. that. In the 1970s, he was the Six Million Dollar Man, uh, which is a television show that uh, started off with a, a couple of uh, well-received pilots and then went uh, full five seasons. 
And if you were a kid in the 70s, The Six Million Dollar Man was the coolest show on earth. Yes, it really I, was. I lived, I lived for The Six Million Dollar Man in the 70s. Now, in the 1980s, he was in another very well-received and popular television series called The Fall Guy, in which he played a uh, Hollywood stuntman who was also a, a skip tracer, a guy who chased uh, chased people who were skipping out on their, their bail. That, that show lasted four or five years as well. So he was a very popular television star over the course of three decades. Now, in amongst those TV series, he's also been in a number of films. But here's my question to you, Mr. Hudson. Was Lee Majors ever the star of a, I mean, like a really good Hollywood movie? Um, no, I'm, you mean movies that other people would consider good besides... No, 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 no. I mean like a good movie. Like not, let's just talk about the fact that... Not the Norseman? <laughs> no, not the Norseman. Not the Norseman. Not Steel, if you remember Steel. <laughs> Steel was a movie he did in the uh, I think it was nineteen eighty in which he played a uh, uh, you know one of the one of the men who, who work uh, erecting large buildings you know you're like a steel they call them steel monkeys mm-hmm. the the guys who like you know put girders into place with rivets and shit like that uh, I'll never forget it was a PG rated film and it may have been one of the first films I ever saw just watching it on uh, HBO as a youngster and there was some topless nudity wow Ooh, yeah. from Lee Majors. No, well, no, well, obviously, yes, but also from a female, so, yeah. Those were the days. You know, honestly, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that was like, which is sort of surprising, because Lee Majors is a very likable guy, and... But see, that's the thing, and this is something that was very, very true, uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Very difficult for a television star, a person who made their name on television, to transition into film with much success. It just wasn't done. Now, things have blurred considerably in the 21st century where actors tend to shift between television series and movies without any change in status or, or, or bankability. But back then, if you were a TV star, it didn't mean shit for your viability at, at the big, on the big screen. I mean, you just, you know, it, it almost never happened. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Very Even I can remember... Well, like Farah, who was the biggest thing in the world at the time, yeah, and yeah, just totally tanked when she tried to make it into um, into features, which is surprising with the, the big a name as she was at the time. See, I look back at the time when he was doing the Six Million Dollar Man and the time right after the show stopped, and I see the Mighty Norseman <laughs> in 1978, Steel, the movie I was just talking about, this movie, Killer Fish in '79, a movie called Agency in 1980. And then he did a TV movie, the the sequel to High Noon, called High Noon Part Two: The Return of Will Kane, which I still have never seen. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that either. Then he did a movie that made me think, as a youngster, that Lee Majors was a big movie star, which was the Canadian film The Last Chase. From because that was man, that thing played on cable all the freaking time. I honestly thought The Last Chase was like some god awesome movie, just the most brilliant thing in the world. If you've never seen The Last Chase. Um, I don't know that I can recommend it unless you are a Lee Majors fan, because I've now, I, the past few years, thanks to the joy of the special antenna, of course, mm-hmm. I have gone back and rewatched The Last Chase, and it's uh, about ninety minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that it's, it's not a bad movie, but it's not, it's not a great movie. Burgess Meredith is in it too, and it's a pretty good little movie. But my memory of it from being a kid was this is great, great piece of science fiction. And it's just another Canadian-made movie around from around that period of time. Well, when we were kids, anything sort of science fiction-y 
and it was going to be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it seems that after that, Lee Major's you know attempts to get into movies was pretty much over. From there on, the rest of his career, he's been in TV movies and you know guest stars on various TV series. So he made a try, and I would argue that not having gone back and you know rewatched Steel and uh, having seen The Norseman far too many times, I would put to you that his best shot, his best feature film from that period of time of attempting to turn from a TV star to a movie star is actually this movie, Killer Fish. You know, I think you might be correct. It's It's hard to argue. It it really is, because you look at the other ones and you're like, uh... Because I can at least remember when... I remember when Killer Fish came out. I remember seeing ads for it on TV. Now, I did not... I don't don't remember that. Mm -hmm. I do Like I say, I do remember... uh, (coughs) I don't remember ads for any of these movies. But I I did, you know, in the early VHS days, seek out The Norseman... Because, of course, it's a $6 million man, you know, versus, you know, what, Indians? He's a Viking? Holy hell, how did this happen? And Jack Elam's in it. At, and a bunch well, of football players. That's when you think Vikings, you think Jack Elam. <laughs> <laughs> well, Elam does play that kind of Merlin-like character, mm-hmm. which adds a whole lot to it, I think. But Well, it does Okay, let me back that up. When you think Merlin, you, you think, think Jack, Jack Elam. Elam. <laughs> you do think that one crazy glass eye. Jack Elam had that sucker in spades. When but, they said we need a we need a wizard for our Vikings. Let's get that guy from that show struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, guy God. would be great. Uh, Jack, uh, see, Jack, that's just it. That's a misuse of Jack Elam because Jack Elam was great. Let's let's not mm-hmm. let's not split any hairs. Jack Elam was amazing, but was he ever more miscast than in the Norseman? I mean, good lord, uh, that one version of A Star Is Born where he was the male lead. What, what? 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 I hope you're making this up. I'm making that. Thank you God. know better than that. <laughs> well, dude, you kept a straight face. I can't know. I don't know everything. But think about it. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, it would make my brain melt. Yes. This. Yes. Seeing Jack Elam attempt to be um, a, a male romantic lead, I can imagine losing my shit completely. Yes. Just I, who would bankroll that? Other than some half crazed millionaire with no sense of. <laughs> Or or even desire to regain his cash investment. I mean, just imagine though, like a late seventies TV movie version of A Star Is Born. Jack Elam, Charlene Tilton, <laughs> A Star Is Born. Oh 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 oh! I will always laugh at a Charlize Tilton joke. Sorry, folks, but uh, <laughs> yes, if you don't know who we're talking about, it's because we're old fuckers, and I apologize. But nevertheless. Uh, there was a period of time where Charlize Tilton was a really hot commodity on television. She was, yes, up to indeed. about nineteen eighty or so. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a large belief that she may have shot Jr. And if that don't date us like a some bitch, I don't know what will. Yeah, we're really, really giving our ages out now. Oh, we need to talk about this movie because we just feel older and older with each passing second. Yes, we do. All right, folks. Killer Fish, 1979. I will fully admit that I did not get to see this film at all. It completely passed me by until just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. I had heard about it. I knew about it. I think I caught some of it on commercial television at some time in my younger days. I have a memory of it playing on the CBS Late Movie. And it may well have. But I'm not for sure if it was this or Barracuda that I saw the ads for. 
I don't know. But I didn't see it when it was on there, but it, I seem like I remember seeing an ad for it. Well, I mean, think about it, man. This thing is perfect to be sold to American television because you're talking about Lee Majors, big TV star, Karen Black, TV star, James Franciscus, a TV star who actually had done a few movies as mm-hmm. well, and a few other faces that if you had seen television, uh, we'll talk about Gary Collins in a minute. You knew who these folks were. So if this movie pops up on television any time of the day or night, there's going to be a certain familiarity with a lot of the actors' faces, and you're probably not going to, you know, you're, there's going to be that uh, initial familiarity and therefore a certain comfortableness with a viewer checking this thing out or sticking with it for longer than they might otherwise do, considering, you know, whether they dropped into it at the beginning or halfway through it or whatever. So I know it popped up on commercial television. I remember seeing segments of it. But I don't. I know for a fact I never saw the movie all the way through until a few years ago when I uh, appealed to the gods of the special antenna and got my hands on a copy and finally watched it. And because, of course, I'm you know trying to watch all of Antonio Margheriti's films all the time, every time, and it turned out to be a pretty good little movie. Mm-hmm. It is. And I saw this about. Jeez, I can't believe this. It was about twenty years ago or more now. Okay. Uh, the W B uh, affiliate. Back when there was a WB affiliate in Nashville, and I can't remember if it was Channel 30 or 58, but for about a year they had a horror host on Saturday nights, Humphrey the Hunchback. Oh. And most of the films that he showed were, they were digging pretty deep to get horror films. Um, <laughs> uh, the big one they had was they had the TV cut of Halloween. Okay, well that's I, cool. Yeah. yeah, but I remember they showed like uh, Jason Goes to Hell and... Um, a movie that I enjoy, but no one else does. True, but but I uh, yes, but they did also have Killer Fish as far okay. as their package. So I saw that on there. I'll have to uh, toot my own horn for a second. I actually, I published a zine briefly during Ooh. that period, and I did an interview with Humphrey. And after I did the interview, I started to write trivia for him for his show. This is back pre-internet, so he would send me a list of like what films were coming up in the next month or two and right. I would go to all my reference books and say okay well here's some trivia about this movie and give him some little bits and pieces that he could work into his bits between commercials and... well aren't you just the local celebrity oh yeah yeah the royalty checks for that still roll in <laughs> oh I'm oh I'm sure you're just <laughs> you're you're buying Lexuses with that cash <laughs> I <right>? sure am <laughs> a whole fleet of them uh well this is this is interesting in that um Obviously, Killer Fish is a movie that probably would never have been made if not for the humongous success of Jaws. And, of course, Jaws begat a dozen or more different um, low-budget or mid-budget imitators of various stripes and kinds. I mean, Piranha being the most obvious predecessor. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if, if you want to draw a line from Jaws to Piranha, obvious. And from Piranha to this film, it's obvious. But... One of my great joys is that there are just tons and tons, and of course this happens all the time, there are tons of different Jaws ripoffs, all the way to Grizzly, which is, you know, Jaws on land, and it just is a bear instead of a shark. And don't you say anything bad about Grizzly. I didn't say nothing about Grizzly. Okay. i just talking about Grizzly. No. <laughs> <laughs> but there are lots of films that could have very, I mean, could very easily have been termed, uh, you know, Jaws on this, or Jaws in this. You know, like mm-hmm. Jaws on a lake, or Jaws on a... Whatever, whatever, whatever. It's the same thing that happens every time there's a huge hit that seems easily imitatable. Like, you know, like Die Hard on a whatever, or Die Hard on a this, or Die Hard on a that. And it's just... Uh, 
something that always happens. Of course, we don't get what we used to get uh, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, which are the Italian knockoffs, which often are, well, not necessarily as good, but sometimes weirdly more entertaining yeah. than the things that they were imitating. They were very prone to going in all kinds of interesting directions. That... Yeah, yeah. I mean, they may not have the big stars and they may not have the big budgets, but they got the big cojones, baby. And we're mm-hmm. going to do something weird out of the ordinary. We're going to do something that grabs the attention and possibly gets people talking and therefore makes us that much more money. So, Killer Fish is it, you know part of that big long line of films that you know kind of came in the wake of the success of both Jaws and Piranha. Both films were successes. Uh, I, like I say, I don't know exactly how financially successful Killer Fish was, but the fact that it did turn up a lot on on television after the fact says that at least somebody made some money somewhere. And you don't put this many TV faces into a movie and not expect to make some cash back. I will say that this. Being a bit of a ripoff or a bit of a descendant of Jaws and Piranha, it takes an interesting tack because it combines two different kinds of plots and then throws in a third thing just for shits and giggles, it seems almost. Because what we have here is this film starts off as a jewel heist, kind of a crime caper film, uh, where we have this jewel heist at the beginning of the movie, and then we have the very clever thieves knowing that uh, if they want to get these jewels out of the country of Brazil, they need to kind of let the heat, you know, cool down on this. So they're going to, they stash the jewels in a safe place where nobody should be able to accidentally find it and that they should, they'll be able to get their hands on it easily enough when they deem it safe, which for them, they've kind of set 60 days. They're going to wait two months, let everything cool down and then spirit these jewels and split the jewels up and then spirit them out of the country. The place they have chosen to hide it, pretty clever. They hide it in a body of water that is in a little bay that you know, on a lake in Brazil near the home of the man who set the whole thing in gear, the man who planned the whole heist. This is a good idea. This means that everybody knows where it is, so if anybody does anything crazy, everybody else will know. And it seems like a great plan. That's the beginning of the film. That's your jewel heist. That's your crime caper. Then, other things begin to happen. Fish get hungry. Fish done get hungry. Yes, it would appear that the man who set the crime up in place and set set everything in motion and got got the various people in, in, in to do this job for him is played by James Franciscus. And James Franciscus, I will always remember, I think the first place I probably saw him was Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. That's well, as soon as I see him. That's what I think of. Yeah, yeah. But he, I, I know he did a whole lot on television. It's just, I'll be honest, I don't remember him from television. I remember him from Beneath the Planet of the Apes. That's where I will always picture him. He did lots of other things. And to be honest, if I have to be really blunt, he's great in this movie. Uh, there's a lot of complaints I will have about some of the acting in this movie, uh, but not with him and not with Karen Black. I think they are quite good in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some tricky moments with other actors in this movie, regardless of star power. And uh, I think I'm kind of giving it away, aren't I? But I <laughs> 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 think, think I'm giving it away. But James Franciscus is, is great as kind of this uh, this fellow who's got a grudge with the company that these jewels are being stolen from, has quite cleverly come up with a way to uh, to make a lot of money by stealing this stuff from them. 
and has assembled his team of thieves. And Lee Majors' character is the head of this team of thieves. Uh, Karen Black is James Franciscus, Fra- Franciscus's. Oh, wow, there's no good way to pronounce that. Franciscai. Franciscai. Are, are there multiple Jameses? <laughs> uh, but he's his uh, he's his girlfriend, and um, it's very interesting. There there are some roads. There's some paths down which this story could have gone that it chooses not to. It kind of takes a few steps down a couple of different paths and then lets the plot kind of progress, therefore kind of obscuring what they could have done. Uh, and that's probably good because this is a this is overall it's a crime story. And and to, to, to start down the path of, you know, getting involved in you know, the the relationship between James Franciscus and Karen Black's characters, there's enough there to let you know Karen Black's actually really invested in the relationship and actually has uh, a real desire for the relationship to work out and for the two of them to be together with, with there still being just that little hint that we who know better can't really trust Karen Black. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know that I can trust her. Uh, where did you first see Karen Black? Because I always think of Trilogy, Trilogy of Terror. Trilogy of Terror is, I may have seen her in something before, yeah. but definitely the first thing I remember was Trilogy of Terror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, she turns up in Rob Zombie's first film as well, mm-hmm. years after the fact. And Still, nothing in between. Yeah, yeah nothing in between. Yeah, <laughs> nothing in between. Bullshit. <laughs> almost got more credits to her name. Holy crap. But, um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, as I said, they hide the jewels at the bottom of this kind of lake. That uh, it turns out, uh, well, there's a there's a there's a dam on there's a dam above this lake, and uh, soon we discover that uh, well, it's it's a reservoir, isn't it? And it, it, it's above the dam. That's right. Where he where 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 they've stashed it is in the the reservoir above the dam. Right. And uh, when we uh, we have a couple of the uh, the team of thieves decide, you know. Fuck this waiting shit and fuck splitting all these jewels with them. They decide they're going to go get it and take it themselves. And we make a little discovery, which is uh, the reservoir has been stocked with a certain kind of devilfish. Well, we don't know at first. No, we don't. We we learn as soon as this guy gets it. <laughs> but we don't know what's in there because the first. Thing oh, that's is- true. You're right. I'm jumping ahead. You're yeah. right. You're absolutely right. That is one of the more interesting things that the film does. That uh, I I think that if it had been tur- if, if it had been titled something other than Killer Fish, which automatically makes you think that it's going to be something, re- you know, something realistic, mm-hmm. probably. If it had been had a slightly different or more mysterious title, at first you're right. After that first death, the film does seem to be. It's almost as if they're worried that it's like maybe a you know like maybe some damn big snake. I know one of the things says it was a big snake or something. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. There for a little while, they could have they could have if they wanted to played up the idea of this possibly being some you know out of the ordinary monster that pulled this guy under and like ate him. I you know there's no blood fountain, so it doesn't get crazy. It's 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 realistically handled, but it's uh, it's interesting that they go in that direction. Uh, and then you know that they actually hang on to that idea for ten or fifteen minutes of the yeah of the just film. a bit longer. Then um, they go back, and um, Karen Black and Lee Majors go back to the set of the scene. Yeah, and they see two more of the thieves. Yeah, well, both. But, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, two more of the thieves. You're right because they suspect something's up. So they go there and they see two more guys get eaten. Then Karen Black goes back to James Franciscus and says. 
you're not going to believe what's going on. And then she sees the piranha in the tank right behind him and the, all the lights go on for her. She's like, oh my God, you stocked that the reservoir, mm-hmm. you stocked this lake with piranha, didn't you? And, and he, he's blatant about it. He says, yes, because as far as he's concerned, she shouldn't be complaining about this. This is... We're, I'm protecting our investment in this. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it was proven right that those yeah. guys were going to try and rip them off, and yeah, they did. Yeah, and so at that point, it's really kind of hard to argue with him. Yeah, he's a bit of a dick. And as, you know, it's clear Karen Black's character has a real problem with him making this decision because he consider, she considers him responsible for their deaths. But I'm kind of on Franciscus's side. Yeah, because he point. says, you know, if they hadn't gone in there and tried to rip us off... They'd be alive. They'd be okay. Yeah. And um, he does have a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is there is no honor among thieves. Let's but he's so sleazy, you know, just so yeah. smug about it when he announces it. That... Yeah, yeah. So at, the, so at this point, now we know, okay, piranha. It's piranha. It's not something supernatural. It's not some giant snake. It's it's. We now know what the deal is. We now know what the killer fish are. Which let me down because I was hoping that it was a really pissed off Abe Vigoda. Up until that point, <laughs> oh, God. oh, that's that's pain. That's like being speared right in the side. Oh, oh, that's 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 oh, oh, that joke. That that's that's, that's not good joke. That's not good joke. I at thought all. that was a great joke. That's not good joke. Oh God, a very angry Anastasio. <laughs> oh, so now we make a Barney Miller reference, and I'm I'm supposed to not hurt. Oh, you're a bastard. You're a bastard. But it I was, try. It, it was kind of funny, though. I, I try. I would pay to see Killer Fish starting <laughs> Vigoda. Hey, Vigoda, as a serial murderer? Killer Fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. You did it. You put piranha in the dam. Yes, I did. Fifty pair, to be precise. The day I decided to go through with the robbery. There must be tens of thousands by now. That's very interesting. Do you know that you just murdered Hans and Warren? On the contrary. They betrayed us. They were punished. Punished? What is the matter with you? They, they didn't even know. They knew. They knew the consequences. A secret like that amounts to betrayal in my book. You should have told us. Well, yours is a woman's book, not a thief's. You didn't mention that to me when you sent me down in the mines. If I had said anything about the piranhas, they could have taken steps to neutralize them just as we'll do in 60 days. Well, what about me? Could have told me, seems to me. You're supposed to love me. But I do. I do. I do. My God, don't you think I'm horrified by what's happened? Where do you think those stones would be now if I hadn't taken steps to protect them? Where? I'm going to Lasky. No, you needn't. He's remained loyal. If he continues to do so, he risks nothing. No. Lasky was with me. We watched Hans and Warren die. 
He's bound to think of this place and your little habit. I want you to explain everything to him the way you explained it to me. We have to stick together. If we fight each other, we'll all lose. That kind of gets us basically through Act One. Yeah, yeah. But before we go on ahead, a couple of things I want to go back and talk about before we leave them too far behind. And because we always talk about Margarita's um, use of miniatures, and there are a lot of them. Yes, there are. During the heist sequence, the heist, the, the film starts with the the very elaborate heist sequence, and how they uh, the how they pull this uh, safe cracking bit off, how they get to the safe is a, a whole lot of explosions. <laughs> mm-hmm. They just essentially blow a whole big chunk of this compound where this safe is uh, stashed. Uh, they just blow it to hell. And that way all the uh, guards and everybody are going over where the explosion is. Nobody's looking over here where the safe is. Right. And so it's, it's, it's very cool. There's a whole lot of explosions. But, of course, even if you don't have a trained eye, I think these days it's very easy to see that these are elaborate, typical margariti Miniatures. Yeah, and one thing that makes them stand out is you—it's hard to look make fire look good with miniatures. Yeah, often. I mean, there there are several shots, especially when uh, they're—it's clear they're blowing up tankers of some kind of flammable liquid, mm-hmm. and it's splattering across uh, the the uh, the ground, uh, and they're shooting at the right speed. They're shooting it at like a, a higher speed so that when it when they're showing it to us, it looks like this has got you know like this is a really large stretch of space. And so when that stuff is splattering across the ground, that looks realistic. But the flames, like the bigger the, the bigger flames, like on tops of things, mm-hmm. have a tendency to give away the fact that we're looking at miniatures. Yeah, yeah. you're right. The the trains also give that away. The trains only occasionally, yeah. and I think that it almost always isn't the trains themselves. It's how they're lit. Uh, they're not lit as well as they could have been to fool the eye a little bit better, which is why I think the the miniature train stuff that uh, he did in Ark of the Sun God a few years later mm-hmm. works a little bit better because that sequence of uh, that film takes place uh, in in darker circumstances. Both of these sequences take place at night, but once these big uh, fuel pods start being blown all the hell, it's very well lit. And I think that is something that's that's a little to the detriment of these miniatures. Whereas in Ark of the Sun God, it remains in mm-hmm. darkness, and so it looks that it's it's that much easier for these miniatures to fool your eye. But I really still enjoyed the helicopter. Oh, I did too. And like for instance, I thought the helicopter, yeah, the helicopter looked great. And I, there were, I'll be honest, I, I thought for a little while that I had to back it up. I thought for a little while that the, those helicopter shots might actually be real helicopter shots Mm -hmm. over, you know, a a shot of helicopters or of a helicopter, I should say, over uh, an area that he had, that he had, uh, you know, photographed so that he matched it to his miniatures. And there is a lot of that kind of matching when when we're seeing, you know, various actors, uh, even extras running around this, you know, big exploding compound. Yeah, you can see sometimes the process shots in the back. Yeah, yeah. and so he's matching stuff pretty effectively so that when you you know when you're switching back and forth it it it's easy for you to be fooled into thinking okay this shot and that shot are all the same location and it's it's and that's well done and it's just another example of uh, especially at the time it would it would have sold it would have sold itself even better at the time I think and it, especially on television I think oh, yeah. it, would have, it would have looked you know completely fine yeah and it didn't look bad to begin with but I think anytime we're watching one of his films you need, you need to look at the miniatures and that's one reason why with the helicopter. I was expecting it to be a miniature because that's 
what we see with his yeah, films. And yeah. so it was like, you almost look for where can the miniatures be at this time, but they look good. And in fact, I was watching the uh, one of the extras on the Blu-ray, and uh, Bill Lustig says that he remembers seeing those same explosions and a lot of that same sequence in the uh, the big rip-off. Oh, the big rip-off. Okay, I've not mm-hmm. seen that film. And I, I haven't either. I could I could be one of those guys that pretends that I've seen it, like... <laughs> I think there are a lot of those out there, but I haven't seen it. But he said that a lot of those got recycled in there. So I would maybe say that these were or these may have been recycled from that. Well, remember these are these are budget conscious producers, and it's it, and Margariti knew how to bring these things on budget. If he if he's you know if he's going to be able to reuse stuff, he's going to reuse. Oh them. yeah, and I don't see there's any sin in that, especially at the time, because no. it's not like. You're going to have both of these sitting on your shelf at the same time that you can just go watch them back to back. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to to examine these over and over again and pick out the details that will allow you right, to yeah, see that. Yeah. And then one other thing, because our guy that I'm about to talk about got eaten in the last sequence that we talked about. Yeah. Is the most unlikely co-star in this film, and that is Dan Pastorini. Uh, yes. And it was weird. It was weird to be confronted with the fact that holy shit, that's Dan Pastorini. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like I say, before I sat down, uh, even rewatching it, you know, via the special antenna a while back, it didn't really strike me. It's only when watching it on this new Blu-ray from Scorpion that I was like, oh Jesus Christ, we should pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. Pastorini had a huge career in film and television, all of seven credits, but of course, he's most famous for being a football player. Yes, he was the quarterback for the Houston Oilers during their, really, their their absolute peak before they moved to Tennessee and became the Tennessee Titans and had another peak about 18, 20 years ago with yeah. Stephen Air. But when um, Pastorini was there, they almost made the Super Bowl and were beaten by the Steelers because of a very questionable call. True. Right? But uh, this was during the era where Earl Campbell was the running back and he was the quarterback and Bum Phillips was the coach and they were... The uh, Oilers at the time were, were quite the team, and he was a big name. He was a sort of a, I wouldn't say media sensation, but he's one of those guys that transcended football. He was good-looking, big, rugged, good-looking guy. He's certainly sexy as hell in this movie. He is. Spends a lot of time with that shirt off. You noticed that, too. Huh? Yes, I did. Dan Pastorini. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, and when you think about it, I mean, obviously he would be another point of interest for a television viewing audience. So this seems to have built into its casting alone uh, an audience on the back end. Mm-hmm. This is someone; these are people producing a movie that they're trying. They're trying to make sure there's some way for them, even if it's not in theatrical release. There's a way for them to make some money by selling this television after the fact. Yeah, so. because that's a name that a lot of people would recognize, even if they didn't know his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, we've talked about uh, the, the, the plot up there. We've talked about how it's part Jewel Heist. It's part Piranha Fish film. It's, it's part Jaws ripoff. But to me, the most amazing and bizarre part of this is that in the third act, we suddenly get just a, a big dollop of disaster movie. Yeah, just a dollop. It's like ice cream on the hot pie and yeah. it melts off, but it's there for just a minute. Well, I was going to say it was more like, uh, if it we're going to go with your hot pie thing, it's a slice of cheddar on top of that hot apple pie. That's not bad. Yeah, That's yeah, not bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, mixes, it mixes pretty well. I have to say that although this disaster film element that we'll go into detail about here in just a second kind of comes out of nowhere it 
fits the film fine, but it does add the one element in the movie that I wish was done better. And I know where you're going with that, and we'll let's save that till we get oh. to it. Okay, okay. Well, because I, we're skipping ahead, we're skipping. Well, what do you? What do you? Okay, okay. Well, you want to talk about the middle of the film? You want to talk? I, I know what you want to talk about. You want to talk about the love connection between Lee Majors <laughs> and Margot Hemingway? The chemistry between those two. It's like watching two pieces of flint spark up against each other. Only they're both wet. <laughs> that is very accurate. And actually, before we go too much further, I have to say about Margot Hemingway, I've always thought she was fairly hideous. Really? Yeah. I've. She's one of those people that you hear is so sexy. and Well, I think she has an absolutely gorgeous body. But the strangest thing to me, and it's something I noticed again in this film, Margot Hemingway always had the oddest smile. And she it did. turns me off. I think that's part of it. And her Cindy Brady lisp doesn't help much. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that she cannot act. Oh, she's terrible. Fuck. She, she is so bad. Act. Oh, my God. So, uh, but again, she was a big name at the time and yeah. modeling and all that. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah. never thought of her as. And, and, you know, I say she's hideous. It's not like she's like. She well, doesn't no. look like a car hitter in the face or anything. But No, no, no. no. But she's but. not the most. Everybody just seems to worship her, and it's like I don't see what's so great about this. I movie. think I think she is an attractive woman, except that if she smiles, there's something about that bit of an overbite that she has yeah. that just does not work for me. But it's her acting that I remember. Our acting is so bad. She's so terrible in this. She's a, there, there are actresses that you see that should not be in movies, and she is one of them. But at least occasionally, you can find like a scene in the movie where. Even a bad actress who really, you know, shouldn't be doing this is able to find, you know, some, somehow somebody got mm-hmm. her to emote in a way that actually, or maybe she was able to tap into something. There's not a single scene in this movie where she's believable for a second, except the scene where she's like, you know, with a, got a towel wrapped around herself and is kind of, you know, kind of having a tease, a tease contest with, uh, with uh, Karen Black. Uh, there seems to be just a little bit of energy there, but that's it. And I think that there's a part of me that wonders if, like, Karen Black was like, this scene is going to completely suck if I don't find a way yeah. to get something out of this woman. But she's like, it's, is it, that's like a, like a 50% performance, and that's the best scene the woman's got in the mm-hmm. entire movie. And when you're, I'll be honest, Karen Black, I think, is phenomenal in this movie. I think she's really good. She's almost giving the movie more than it deserves at times. Yeah, her character has to go in a lot of different places. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Franciscus is good, she's good, and their scenes together are good. I like the complexity of, as we were discussing earlier, when she realizes and confronts Franciscus with the fact that he's the one who, he had, you're the one who put the piranha in that reservoir. You're the reason this guy's dead. That scene plays out very well. It plays out like two people who are in a relationship and have feelings for each other, but are beginning to are in this sequence trying to find a way to come to terms with a really big piece of information they both have to deal with mm-hmm. and uh, that that seems well played and it's because the two of them are decent actors and are, and can pull it off but yeah Margot Hemingway holy crap she's a plank man she's yeah I'm, I'm surprised that there was never a shot where the woodpecker was whacking on the side of her head <laughs> oh good god anyway so anyway, back to the introduction, because that does bring in our next group of characters. Yeah, yeah. Is um, a helicopter lands, and it's got 
Margot Hemingway, who's a top fashion it's not. Model. It's not a helicopter, it's a plane. It was a plane, that's right. There's yeah, a helicopter. Yeah. I'm thinking of the helicopter from earlier. Yeah. And this is a real plane, not a miniature. Yeah, yeah. Because she gets out along with the photographer and the photographer's aide. Yep. And Gary Collins. Gary Collins is the, the, the pilot. And uh, he, t- Gary Collins, God save me. Gary Collins is one of those guys who, if you were watching television in the 70s or 80s, you saw Gary Collins. Yeah. The main thing you might remember him from is when you're going to sit down and watch Night Gallery, and you go, oh, crap, it's a Gary Collins one. <laughs> was, he in a lot of, was he in a lot of Night Gallery? Well, was? back in the 70s, or the 70s, early 80s, when they um, put it into a syndication, they rolled in his failed series, The Sixth Sense. And put those in as night gallery episodes. Oh, oh, because he was only in one official night gallery yeah. episode, as far as I can tell. But so you think, all right, I'm going to get to see night gallery. I hope it's a good one. It's like, oh man, the Sixth Sense again. This sucks. Yeah, there were 24 episodes of the Sixth Sense from 1972. I have never seen any of that. Was it that bad? Yeah, it was pretty bad. Well, the thing about here's the thing. As soon as I saw Gary Collins' face in this, I was like, okay, now wait a minute. I, I, what what is it exactly that I remember him from? And the thing is, there's no one thing. I remember Gary Collins from his blonde, constantly smiling face was just in every fucking television show on the planet Earth for roughly <laughs> That's 20 exactly years. exactly right. It's like you need a beauty contest host for like the year between when you've got hosts you want to have. You'd get yeah. Gary Collins. He was in McCloud. He was in Lassie. He was in Love American Style. He was in Born Free for fuck's sake. Barnaby Jones. He was in an episode of The Bionic Woman. Police Story. He was hell. He had a part in freaking Roots for God's sake. He was in everything. It's it's it, 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 his face. He's he, the man smiles all the time. I hate him. Why do I hate him so? He's yeah. innocuous and and he's unassuming. And there's nothing wrong with him except that he's always fucking happy. I, I don't I don't want him on my screen, man. Well, luckily you don't see him too much in this film. And I think I honestly think the only reason he's in this. Is so they can have another recognizable name because he yeah. has nothing to do in this movie. I know it's like the it's it, talk about a supporting character. I mean, there's I mean, he, he really has very little slash mm-hmm. almost nothing to do. And I mean, you know, when he come when they when we come in at the end and he's trying, you know, he's kind of saving the day. That's that's like the extent of his character. And that's, anybody could have done that. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. could have had just generic helicopter pilot. Exactly. That. Now, one thing that stands out with our fashion model and her crew. They're saying, yeah. oh, we need a great background for this. And there's the flamboyantly gay, yet they say he's bisexual, yeah. sort of Victor Buono after he's eaten a lot. <laughs> Photographer. He's like, oh, you're fabulous. Um, he's there, and he's taking pictures of everything. Is that every single photo shoot that you see them having is terrible. It's yeah. like, oh, let's get some fashion shots in the parking lot. And or I'm beside the pool at the hotel. It's like, what the fuck is yeah, this? Yeah, with tourists hanging around. There's only one, which is uh, near the very end of the time when they're just before yeah. Act 3. When they've actually gone out someplace. Yeah, there's a waterfall yeah. behind. And it's like, yeah. okay, that looks like that's a fashion shoot. Yeah, but there's one where gorgeous, she's just yeah. randomly swimming in water. And they're snapping off shots. And you think, these... Man, who who would buy these? This is this well, is not that, very good. That's just it. It's it's you're right. It's only that you know huge waterfall section where mm-hmm. they're taking photographs there, where it's like, yeah, now that that looks like something you'd see in a high fashion magazine. Yeah, everything or, else, or in something like that. But the rest of it is just like this is 
somebody who doesn't know what this should look like's idea of what this would look like. Mm-hmm. So, but now that could tie into a little twist later on. Yes, as a matter of fact, it does, and that's one of the neater things. Mm-hmm. That's one of the. We have to kind of decide now. Do we want to go ahead and just talk all the way through the end of this and spoil the ending of oh, it? Oh no, I think we should leave people on pins you and needles. So? And okay, wait. okay. Well, then we won't we won't talk about the final twists until we get there. Well, you, you want to give it away? Or? Well, no, I don't. I may, do you, I'm saying, do we want to talk about it at all? I think so. Honestly, I don't think. Um, I think anybody who wants to go in and watch Killer Fish won't have it ruined okay, by, good. Okay. by this incredible twist where it's like, oh my gosh, Tyler Durden, they're the same guy. <laughs> it's, it's not that level. You've given it away, you bastard. That's right. Tyler Durden comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Dispensing soap. And, uh, no, okay. Well, let's, let's get to one of my favorite elements of the film, which is when we suddenly get dropped into a disaster movie for a few minutes. But before we do, there is one last thing I want to talk about. Oh, I'm sorry. Before... We get to the disaster. All of our little piranha buddies are on the other side of the dam. Oh, yeah. And every thief who goes in the water is promptly eaten. Right. And my question is, does nobody else ever go in that water? Apparently not. Because James Francisco says there must be tens of thousands of piranha in there right now. And yet nobody else has ever had that happen. Well, see, here's the thing. I would guess... That apparently no one does go in there, I guess because it's the reservoir above a dam, but that doesn't make any sense. Well, no, because like where I am from, Lake Malone, Kentucky, is a man-made lake. Right. And there's a dam at the end that's not, it's not a reservoir, but it's a man-made lake and there's a spillway. Right. Which counts, you know, gets the overflow water, but... People fish below it, they fish above it, so there would at least be a lot of people fishing in there. I would think so. Essentially, he has he has put, and they don't bring this out, even when uh, Franciscus and uh, Karen Black are having their argument, they don't bring out the fact that, you son of a bitch, I mean, you've just essentially made this place, you've made, you've made this big body of water completely useless for human habitation. I mean, how, yeah. what are you, you going to do about this? It's going to be a complete death trap for any anybody that ever goes in there. If a child wants yeah. to stick their toe in the water, they'll be eaten. But apparently, no one, no one else maybe knows about it. Uh, although later in the film, I do get a kick out of watching that child get chewed up. By oh, that fish. was hilarious! That was that was awesome. That was funny. <laughs> and, and, and generally, I don't like watching children be tortured. <laughs> oh, okay, yes, I do. I kind of do. Oh, it's one of the th- this is one of the reasons why I love the film Mimic so much. Killing kids, killing damn kids. They love nosy kids. They shouldn't have been down there in a damn place in the first place. Kill them all. Kill them, giant. You meddling kids and your snack-eating dog. <laughs> <laughs> Scooby-dooby-doo. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Nevertheless. Oh, it's another right. 70s reference. Holy Christ. That's right. How many 70s references can we shove into uh, one? Oh, there'll be a few more since we're about to talk about disaster films. But Time for the gong show. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but now I know you've been, since the... Third minute of this podcast. Oh, You've been wanting to get to this disaster. I have, I have. So no, we're, we're there. For, for two reasons. For two reasons. One, it it is the only point in the film where I think the the filmmaking falls down, and it's a way in which a lot of films of this type kind of fall down. So the the we uh, we get to the point where um, a couple of the characters have uh, reclaimed the jewels, mm-hmm. and uh, they've decided they're they're going to spirit them away. But uh, and, and and they get kind of marooned on one side of that reservoir without their boat. 
And it's never really, we never really learn, and I think that's kind of neat. I like the fact that we don't learn what happened to their boat, why it got sunk. In other words, they think that it might have been Lee Major's character, but we're never given information directly that would say that he did something to the boat or if it was just an accident. And in fact, it couldn't have been him because, as we'll find out in just a bit, he was on another boat while they were over there. Right, but at the same time, at the end of the movie, we do find out something that might point to him having some kind of other confederate that might have been able to do something. That's true, although they were all on that boat, too. Yeah, but we don't know. That's what I mean, is there could have been well, more confederates. That's that's true, and that's one thing about this film, as we get to that big twist at the end, it, it, it ain't exactly airtight. <laughs> no, it ain't, it, it ain't, but it is still a really nice wrap-up to it is. the story. But at any rate, I thought it was fine just that the boat sank, because it happens sometimes. You're, yeah, oh yeah. You, you leave, you go do something, you come back, well, crap, the boat sank, or oh, the shit. car won't start. What happened? Or There's a big yeah. dent in the side of my car. And, 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 what, and what adds to that is, even if they'd been, you know, even if they could have fished the boat out, they no longer have an engine because that damn engine now been underwater for mm-hmm. for a while, so they're fucked. <laughs> they don't really have a way out. So everybody ends up in this reservoir or in this big lake on the other side of the reservoir. on the other side of yeah yeah in the lake. Uh, it's we have the the photographer and Mar, you know Margot Hemingway and uh, Lee Majors and Victor Bueno in his Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> exactly. So we have. Everyone on this boat, uh, because they 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 need to ride. You know, our, our two Confederate Franciscus and Karen Black need to ride back you know, back to where they're going. And wouldn't you know it, at that exact moment, a giant storm appears. Well, first, before that exact moment, another exact moment. There's oh, how are we going to get back? Oh, look, there's the hotel's boat, and there's the yeah, entire yeah. magazine crew, and there's our. Thief pal that we don't exactly trust completely, and he's on there playing backgammon. And yep, yep. But lucky they get lucky. a ride. So, so everybody's on the boat, and then the love boat. Sorry, sorry. Super trains. <laughs> oh, next is WKRP in Cincinnati. I swear to God. Anyway, now we're all on this boat, and suddenly out of nowhere, a freaking storm strikes. Now. The weakest special effect in this movie oh, yeah. is the sight of what it, I guess is a tornado or a funnel cloud of some kind. Of some yeah, time. that was horrible. That's terrible. Yeah. And they keep it on screen just long enough for you to go, that sucks. I understand what you're trying to do, but let's get on with this because you don't want that on screen for very long. And you know, amazingly enough, that's in the trailer. Really? Yeah, that, that Ooh, shot is in the trailer too. Oh, that's. No, that's that's poor choice. That's, yeah. a, that's somebody cutting a trailer together who fell asleep. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, like, let's put the crappiest part of the movie in there. Well, at any rate, so this big storm blows through, and uh, amongst other things, well, several things. First of all, it uh, puts the puts the people on the boat in the position of unfortunately being uh, being uh, having a, a large hole put in the hole, and so the boat is slowly sinking. Mm-hmm. And it also, unfortunately, and this is the worst part. It actually screws the dam up that it bursts, and therefore all of those nice piranha that were sitting sitting up there above the dam are now down in the actual lake. And that means they're everywhere. So you can't go into the water around this boat anymore because there's hundreds of thousands of piranha. And you can't fly because you're not, you know, a mutant, so you're done. You're just going to have to, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're not that far from the shore. They can even see the shore. They could swim there but if it weren't for all the piranha. If it piranha. weren't for all the piranha. Now, here's the weak part. Not, 
I, I would complain about the the special effect of the funnel cloud or whatever that is. But the really the part that that I don't like is that the, for the for the film for the story to take place, we have to move from the pretty well done storm effects. They they obviously employed you know like great big you know great big huge industrial fans. Uh, they have this storm taking place, and we're seeing it take taking place at the. Uh, at the uh, the hotel and uh, on the beach there. Oh yeah, that looks um, that looked like they were in the middle of a real storm. It really did. It yeah. really looks really looks effective. The stuff when they're on the boat looks effective. They're they're obviously on a on a set that they can tilt and move, and it really actually looks dangerous. Uh, that all works, but for the story to progress, they have to get to the point where they're trying to find a way to get to shore from the slowly sinking boat, and therefore the storm is over quick. Yeah, it's real fast. It's all gone and it's sunny again. And don't get me wrong, it's not that that's not how some of these things happen. If you talk about people, in, in, especially in like the Pacific, dealing with cyclones, it just it happens and it's over in minutes. Uh, and, and it is kind of amazing. But it doesn't play effectively, it doesn't play well in the film that this storm is over as fast as it is. And we're on to the problem of getting from the boat to the shore. It just, there needed to be more dialogue bridging that where they take they take note of the fact you know in 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 spoken words about how quickly that was done something needed to be said there needed to be something there to smooth over Mm -hmm. the transition from this really rough looking storm that's very effectively staged to the next problem and that's the one spot in the movie where i'm just like yeah they needed to paper over that just a little bit and so considering that that really is my biggest problem with the movie other than a few other things like the fact that, and now I'm going to talk about it a little bit, Lee Majors is not doing his best work in this film. <laughs> but he got a free trip to Brazil out of it. Yes, I'm sure he got a free trip to Brazil. Uh, according to what I've read, uh, he was one of the co-producers on it, so he had some money invested well, in this thing. Well, if you notice in the credits at the beginning, it was a Fawcett Majors production. Right. So I guess he right. and Farah had a, a uh, production company at the time. Well, one thing that might have led to that is in that same uh, extra that I was talking about where they talked about the film being reused. They also mentioned that while Lee was filming that, he's getting word that Farrah's hanging out with Ryan (laughs) O'Neill. So he finds out that his marriage is falling apart while he's down there shooting killer fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not going to put you in the best of moods, I guess. So that might have had something to do with it. Yeah, he's he's not... uh, Here's the thing. I, I would have to tell... I would have to say, honestly... I'm a bit of a Lee Majors fan. I, I enjoy seeing him on screen. Uh, I'm enjoying right now slowly going back through all five seasons of the Six Million Dollar Man on DVD, just kind of reliving my you know my very small my very young childhood and just really enjoying watching that show again and discovering just how many episodes of it suck. But besides that <laughs> point, besides that point, Lee Majors has a lot of charisma on the television screen, and that really should have translated a little bit better to the big screen. But in this movie, without having gone back and rewatched, you know, Steel and a couple of other of his movies in recent memory, he's not, he's not really, he's not bringing his A game to this. This is not Maximum Lee Major's charisma, and it really kind of needs to be Maximum Lee Major's charisma. There's a lot of time spent with his character. And he's pretty low key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are only a few scenes where 
he seems really on point and engaged. And that tends to be the scenes where he arches the eyebrow. <laughs> or slaps a guy. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. But And that scene, and I know you've thought about it, where Margot Hemingway chases Karen Black out of the hotel room, and she goes back into the bathroom, into and there's the Lee hanging out with his hands up on the shower head with the water running, ready to bring the romance back. Yeah, that long, lingering kiss under the shower head. That's right. That sounded dirtier than it needed to be. Yeah. Did it make you look at the screen with your eye and squint and go... I'll bet it did. Oh, yes, the bionic penis. Oh, you were thinking about something else. Yeah. I'm sorry. pervert. For me, it's always about the bionic penis. I don't know why. It would be. Better, faster, stronger. We can rebuild it. We can rebuild it. <laughs> the made-to-order bionic penis coming to you. This might be our idea for that film we've been wanting to make. <coughs> oh, man. Hi, pal. Your plan didn't work. You only got rid of one of us. Now you're going to tell me what the hell's going on here. All right. Now you tell me what's going on. Where's your brother? As if you didn't know. You and your two cronies. I knew. Why in the hell would I ask you? Now, where is he? He's dead. How? What happened? He went to get the stones. He was doing the diving. He had all the equipment. The mask, flashlight. I think it was the flashlight that attracted us. Attracted what? I don't know. I think it was a huge snake. He went down. He came up screaming. Then he went under again for good. So stipulating that this is not Lee Major's finest hour, uh, he's still good enough to get the, the the job done. But he he really is. He's he's not all, he's not there enough as as a presence to really outdo the job that Franciscus and Karen Black do in my mm-hmm. opinion. Hell, even the the actor who plays the uh, gay slash bisexual photographer is a shit ton of fun. Oh, he's playing it. He's yeah. he, he's, he's great. He's fine. He, he's he's full of energy and he's he's perfectly fine. Uh, I don't ever want to see Gary Collins' overly smiley face ever again, but that's a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the end of this movie and how we get to the point where, uh, as you might expect, more people get et by the fish, but not Lee Majors. No, although he does get bit a lot. He does, and that's one of the things that sort of jumped out as I watched it. It's like his fellow thieves, when they're in the water, like two seconds, and they're they're under. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, they, they set they set it up. They 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 set it up, how, especially how the first time he goes in the water, he's able to escape with only like you know six or seven really really nasty nibbles. Uh, because they've they've distracted the fish by putting okay okay something I'm, else in the water for them to deal with shall we it say it just seemed like Lee was getting an awful lot of fish bites but they weren't maybe they're were just hitting the bionic parts but, <laughs> but he was pretty tough well nothing shorted out so he's fine. true but he's out there Zane Franciscus is on the um, inflatable life raft trying to get away he's basically said see you later suckers told yep. Karen Black. Yep. I, I'll be glad that you're dying, too. This whole boat's going under, yep, and I'm yep. out of here. And Lee dives in to go after him. Mm-hmm. He, he, he gets bit quite a bit during that segment, to the point where, honestly, he look, when they pull him out of there, he looks rough. He did get bit pretty and well. He, and, he's, and it's obvious that he's been injured enough that he's, 
he's not really able to. He, it's almost as if he's not able to use his legs when they yank him out of the water. I mean, he's or one of his rough. arms. Yeah, he's looking rough. Or his eye. <laughs> oh my. Hmm. Could this be an alternate timeline? Six million be. dollar man origin story. Could be. Oh, but my. now that does lead me to one of the the unintentionally funny moments is Franciscus, the piranhas chew a hole in the raft. Right. So he's starting to sink. Well, yeah, and what, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, and he's yeah. like frantically like trying to roll with his hands yep. while the, the raft is sinking, sinking into the piranhas. Yeah. And he looks for all the world like a five-year-old in the swimming pool. Like, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. That's pretty entertaining. As we say farewell to James Franciscus, I do have to say Franciscus. I sound like Popeye there. As we say farewell <laughs> to James Franciscus, I do have to say that one thing I think of every time I see him is that Mad Magazine Planet of the Apes parody from the 70s. I always say, there's Brunt. <laughs> Brunt. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's worth noting that James Franciscus was cast in that, in that, role, in that lead role in the second Planet of the Apes film, Specifically because he looked a whole lot like Charles oh, yeah. Heston, and I mean, and, and it's really hard to miss once you know. As when you're a kid, you're not thinking that much about it, but when you're an adult, you're like, yeah, they really have very similar facial features. And he, Franciscus could be, you know, essentially uh, like you know, twelve or fifteen year younger version of Heston at that mm-hmm. point when they made that movie. But it is. Slightly comical, but at the same time, that's played almost perfectly because you're ready for this fucker to die. Oh now. yeah, you're ready yeah. for him to go. He's he's really turned scummy yeah. at that point. So uh, the 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 movie progresses on its way. The the jewels have sunk in the water along with Franciscus at that point, and the movie pulls a nice couple of one two uh, surprises there, which is that Karen Black's character is shown recuperating in the hospital. And is told, oh, the police want to talk to you. And she's like, oh, shit. And the cops mm-hmm. come in with her her case, her little case that they had that they had hidden the jewels in. And you're like, oh, yeah, you're nailed because they found this shit. And they go, oh, is this yours? And the trick is, of course, that they're just trying to return it to her. So yeah. they return it to her, and she's like, all right, this is great. Cool, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So... It looks like Karen Black is going to get away with the jewels, all on her lonesome, and that is kind of where the movie goes for a minute or two, when you see her getting on a plane to get the hell out of Dodge, but interestingly enough, also leaving at the same time, Margot Hemingway is saying goodbye to the helper of the now now dead photographer. We'll have to admit that he got et by the fish as well. And they had a lot to eat. They had a whole lot to eat when they were chewing on him, but... There's a little sleight of hand going on there, a little little something going on at, 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 there at the airport. And uh, then we get the real kicker, because Mar- uh, Margot Hemingway gets back, goes back outside the airport, gets in the car, in the driver's seat, and there's someone sitting in the back seat holding a cane, and turns out, we get the stinger, it's the sting in the tail, it's the little surprise little twist ending. There. It's, it's the Shemalian, let's call it. <laughs> We have our Tyler Durden moment. <laughs> I like Shamalian better. Come on. Kaiser Sose shows up. <laughs> Kaiser Sose shows up. Okay, okay. Now, wait a minute. You may have trumped me on that one. That's good. Kaiser Sose is a better reference. Okay, that's good. That's good. Anyway. And it turns uh, out Lee Majors has been dead the whole time. He's been alive. 
<laughs> no, I don't think that's it. Okay, no, what it turns out is that uh, you get from the dialogue, as Lee Majors is the guy in the back of the car with, with the cane, that uh, Margot Hemingway was his confederate. They didn't just meet at this place and become an item. That whole magazine fashion photography thing was a setup that mastermind Lee Majors had set had set in place to arrange a way to end up with the jewels himself, which mm-hmm. he kind of has, although actually he only got away with half of them. Mm-hmm. So he and Karen Black end up splitting a whole lot of money in jewels, uh, whether that was the plan or not. He They both plan to get away with all of it, but they end up splitting it down the middle. So... Nice little. I, I like the ending because the ending. It's it's. I hate, I hate to say it, but I, when you look back on it, it is kind of the 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 kind of ending that at the time you would have expected from a movie that was a jewel heist movie. True. But there's so much in the middle of the story. Uh, I mean, they drop a little disaster movie in your way, and they, they they drop a bunch of other stuff in your way as you go along. You know, piranhas and and disasters. That honestly, by the time you get to that thing at the end, it's like, oh yeah, wait a minute, this would be That's kind right. of the normal yeah. ending for a jewel heist caper film. So yeah, all right, cool. And I felt I honestly like that ending. I like the ending. I yeah, it's not airtight. I'll grant you, it's definitely not airtight. Although clearly that makeup case that had those jewels in it had to have been airtight for this to work. Yeah, because not only was it airtight, but the note that was inside was still fine too. Yeah, exactly. And still not sure how the note got in there. Yeah, and how she got half of them out. Yeah, how did that happen? I'm not really positive. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we don't need to think about that. Let's not consider it too closely. Like I said, this this is not exactly Fight Club tight. You don't look back at it the second time and say, "Oh yeah, shit!" All of this fits together like a puzzle. It's brilliant. It's not quite there, but it's a, it's a pretty fun ride. Yeah, this is actually I have to say, um, of course, we wouldn't be doing this series of podcasts about Antonio Margariti films if we weren't fans. But it is fun when you explore uh, his films that you run across things like this. Um, you run across a, a movie that. Uh, it's a pretty good little movie. I mean, it's not perfect. There, there are problems with it. Some of the problems are w- ones of budget. Uh, some of them are, uh, you know, your lead actor getting distracted because his wife's fucking somebody else, as you said. Mm-hmm. But this is the kind of thing that I think is it's a pleasure. It's, I'm glad this is available on Blu-ray now. I'm glad this can be seen. And it's another piece of Margarita's long career that you can now add into the entire run. I mean, uh, I hate to say it, but... Marguerite, as much as I don't like Mr. Super Invisible, you can see some of the same directing techniques that he used in that movie, some of the same setups. I don't like being able to say this. I don't like being able to remember Mr. Super Invisible all that well. But you can see kind of a one-to-one in, in shot setups and the way things are blocked and the way he'll, uh, he'll use the camera to draw attention to certain things and then slowly draw your attention across to something else. Mm-hmm. And wait, I think I just realized how they got the jewel switched. Uh, uh, Mr. Super Invisible? Invisible Chimp. Oh, okay, of course. You know, I'll be honest, uh, I, 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 uh, for all the dead piranha we see in this film, as a few of them get blown up, you know, they're, Does that count as our up? animal cruelty for this episode? Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Now that we've established the ongoing animal, animal murder in Antonio Margariti films, uh, 
I don't know if those were real fish or not. Those could have easily been fake fish. But then again, we're talking about a, a Margariti film, so yeah, he probably murdered all those fish. Yeah, and there were a few shots of just fish gasping for air as they flopped around on the shore. Yeah, but we don't see those die, but we are, you know, he's being cruel to them, so that's good, right? Yeah, that fits. yeah. Now, we, if we had a close up of them getting chopped in half with an axe, <laughs> then we would have known we're definitely in an Antonio Or maybe Margariti if we'd film. seen a bunch of them eat a snake. <laughs> Now I know why this film didn't reach perfection. That scene isn't in it. I want the big snake being eaten to death by Piranha. Now that uh, would have given it everything we needed. Ah, uh, yes, it would. So I mean, this was so. This was clearly not the first time you'd seen Killer Fish. It had been so long ago, and you know, it it, it basically should count as the first time that I've seen it. <laughs> I sometimes wonder about that because. Uh, you know, I keep track of uh, I keep track on the blog of all the films that I watch month in and month month out, and uh, even if I've seen a movie, you know, thirty years ago, I'll still count a new viewing of it as a rewatch. But sometimes you're right; it's sometimes it's been so damn long, and my memory of a film is completely dimmed over mm-hmm. time that it it. It it is a rewatch technically, but I'll be honest, I don't remember enough about it for me to to be looking for particular points of interest to you know check again and see if I you know feel the same way about them. So, yeah, I know what you mean. It it like like I say, if I had not you know I I, I saw it a few years ago when I when I special antenned it, but um, like I say, I, I'm I'm really I'm really glad that now people can see this one. I think it, it's a it's another good addition to the to the Margariti career list. Yeah, it is. And in fact, I think if I heard right, this was the Blu-rays, the first time it's actually been released on video over here. Wow, is it? I don't think it had a VHS or definitely not a DVD. So That's wild. I mean, well, you know, I, I do have to go out of my way to mention two things first, which is um, the, this this podcast will be ending with the theme song from Killer Fish. Which is not called Killer Fish, so don't get your don't 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 get all excited, everyone. Uh, Which is a shame. Yes, but the song in this film, uh, you will hear it, and it's it's not. Again, I don't want you to be too disappointed, so I'll tell you in advance, it's not as good as a theme from Ark of the Sun God. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually better. You son of a bitch! Do not lie to these people. They're about oh. to hear the song anyway. It's here's the thing, uh, the name of the song in the movie. Uh, well, first of all, the, the score was done by the DeAngelis brothers, who uh, also uh, were also did a lot of uh, soundtrack music under uh, uh, the the the, the uh, under the uh, fake name Oliver Onions. But the DeAngelis brothers uh, did the did the score for this, and they also uh, did the music for the song called "The Winner Takes All." Now, remember, "The Winner Takes All" is not the ABBA song of the same title. So well, that was "The Winner Takes It All." Right, right, right. But people get it mixed up. Uh, I've noticed because I've seen people online going, I thought it was the ABBA song. It's like, it's not the ABBA song. Why would they think that? Because people are weird. I mean, seriously, who would think, oh man, the Killer Fish movie with Lee Majors has got an ABBA song. And the Oilers quarterback, ABBA came in and, why would anybody think that? Because the titles are similar and they're, and honestly, they're from around the same time. Well. They are from around the same time. So. Maybe. It, it goes back to one of my catchphrases in life, and that is, people, a lot of people are dumb. Yeah, yes, they are. No argument. But this version, this song, which I will, like I say, will be at the end of this podcast, is sung by Amy Stewart, 
who uh, really is best known for uh, the number one hit she had called Knock on Wood is a disco song. I remember that. That was her, really? Yeah, that was her. Wow. It's Amy with two eyes, which is a weird way to spell Amy. I wonder if she had to do that because there was somebody else with the same name and this was just a way to differentiate between the two of them. You know, like the way you'll throw a middle initial into a name that's Mm -hmm. fairly common to try to make sure that you know it's not someone else. Like Ingve J. Malmsteen? That would be it, yeah. Yeah. There's so many Ingve Malmsteens around, so, yeah. But uh, The Winner Takes It, The Winner Takes All. Uh, It's, I can't call it a bad song, but I can't call it a good song either. I'm going to leave it up to you to decide. And And not you, you, Hudson, the listeners. Well, one thing we can all agree on, it is a song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It had. Yeah. It's got all of the hallmarks of a song. It's true. Mm-hmm. All of the bits and pieces that you would like point to and go, that makes it a song. Yeah. It has all that. But it uh, is hard to believe though that it's the same girl that did knock on wood because that was a big yeah. hit. Oh, it was a huge hit. Yeah. Yeah. But that's her. Yeah, it's her. Um, I, I, I can't. I can't leave this film without pointing out on the Wikipedia page for this. I love looking this. I went looking on my own, and I, and it wasn't until I like. Uh, recheck the Wikipedia page that I was able to find some contemporary reviews of the film, and I love that because you'd think this was this film just got you know a lot of great a lot of great reviews that were, people were falling over themselves to talk well about it. Uh, yeah, of course I'm I'm lying like a son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the monthly film bulletin stated that the film quote appears to have a greater budget than Piranha, and that it exhibits considerably less imagination. That's uh, that's not damning with faint praise. That's slapping the shit out of it. Yes, it is. Vincent Canby of the New York Times stated that the film may not be a good movie. It's really inept, but it's friendly, like Mr. Lee Major's Quizzical Squint, which is, I'm told by people who watch more television than I do, what Mr. Major's does best. Everyone, in fact, carries on gamely, as people do at a picnic when it rains. Well... <laughs> <laughs> we were all here to have fun, and it's really kind of not going well. But let's just let's get on keep with on it. Keep on going. Oh man, the movie's better than that. Fuck you, Vincent Canby. That's right. Where are you now? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where Vincent Canby is. Is he dead? I have probably. no idea. I don't know. It's it's probably a lot like uh, something that would happen a lot when I was a kid. I would watch an old movie with my dad. So we're watching the Three Stooges or the Marx Brothers. Yep, son. Guess everybody on that screen right now is in the ground now. <laughs> huh. Well, that brings out the comedy, Dad. <laughs> you know, son, everybody on that screen there, they're looking at the grass from the other side. That's right. <laughs> that boy there, he stepped on a rainbow. <laughs> yeah, that, that happened often, Dad. We just randomly point that out that everybody we're looking at's dead. Well, I will say that one of the strangest moments of my life is just kind of realization of uh, some someone or something had died and I hadn't considered that possibility, much less thought anything about it, was when somebody at some point, when a movie was starting, it was an MGM movie, and you see Leo the Lion roar, somebody said, you know, that lion's dead now. <laughs> Like, way to fuck the movie, buddy. It hasn't even started yet, and I'm Man. already thinking about dead lions for what fuck's sake. downer. <laughs> Good job, buddy. I'm so happy now. Anyway, all right, folks. Um, I think we both like Killer Fish. Yeah. As a matter of fact, on the 1 to 10 scale, I gave it a 7. I really enjoyed it. I thought it's a, it's a, generally an, an above-average movie. It's a nice combination of disparate elements. Uh, of course, 
I like the miniature work, even when I can tell it's miniature stuff. Yeah, that um, doesn't bother me. I mean, I grew up yeah, in the yeah. 70s, and most miniature work was obviously miniatures at oh, the time. Yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, there's there, it's it's a good uh, it's a good jumble of ideas. It has that nice little surprise at the end. Uh, it's fun. There's there's so there's a lot of different things going on all the time. You're I, you're never bored. Uh, you might wish that uh, Margot Hemingway was you know a better actress or another actress. Oh, I can I could go for that. Yeah, yeah that'd be fine too. Imagine like a young Barbara Carrera in that role or something like that. <sighs> oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. That's going to just send you off. Ain't it? <laughs> Young Barbara Carrera. Would have been fun. Whew. That actually would have been pretty good. That would have worked like a charm, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, because she could actually act. Yeah. And of course, she was gorgeous. And I'd be interested if she would have had to have more chemistry with Lee Majors than Margot Hemingway did. Margot Hemingway, I mean, well, here's the thing. Barbara Carrera had actual chemistry with Rock Hudson, for fuck's sake, in a movie around this same time. And good Lord, it was Rock Hudson. He was gay. I don't know. Barbara Carrera may have made him switch teams. <laughs> yeah, well, you, yeah, you could be right. I mean, she, yeah, yeah. You ever seen Embryo? That's the movie I'm talking yeah. about. And it, like I say, you know, it's uh, Barbara Carrera spends a fair amount of that movie nude. And yeah, she's quite good. At, she's quite good. And man, she would have been a better choice by far. Yeah. I did, that just occurred a minute ago when I spewed that name out there. Holy crap, that she would have been great. <laughs> Missed opportunities there, buddy. Anyway, anyway. Um, Killer Fish, I think we both recommend it. If you're an Antonio Margariti fan, we definitely recommend it. If you're adventurous and like uh, 70s caper films with a, with a dash of uh, odd things tossed in, maybe you like piranha eating people, hey, check it out. And if you don't, you probably haven't made it this far. Yeah, that's a fine point now, ain't it? Ain't nobody just sitting there going, I wonder what these people are going to talk about. I hope there's some fish-eating people in there. Yeah. I mean, these guys are just witty enough for me to listen to them talk about a movie I don't give the slightest damn about. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of those people out there, right? Oh, yeah. Tons of them, right? I get letters every day. (laughs) Well, you know, we need to start thinking ahead. What Antonio Margariti should we... Which of his films, I should say, should we be covering next? Well, believe it or not, I put a little thought into this. Ah, good, good. And I would like us to do Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye. Really? Yeah. I hadn't even thought about covering that because, I mean, I love the, I, I, not to spew it out there and I can just tell everybody already, but I really, I really, really like that movie. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot to dig into with that film. Yeah. That movie, that movie stars Jane Birkin. Mm-hmm. That's a good movie. Yeah, it is a good movie. So we'll yeah. probably get rid of some of the suspense right there ahead of time. That yeah, like yeah, that yeah. Movie. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold back. Seven Deaths and a Cat's Eye. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. 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 I was trying to think of something with a genre we haven't. I really well. I know we haven't done a giallo from him yet. Yeah, and, and it's and it's a weird combination of gothic and giallo. Mm-hmm. It takes place in Scotland, and of course we did the gothics early on. Yeah, with Web of the Spider, and but we um, it's been a while. I so. agree. I agree. Okay, so um, uh, I tell you what, uh, that sounds like a good idea. Um, yeah, Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye, and if I'm not completely wrong, I heard recently that that film is due to be released on Blu-ray sometime this year. Hmm, I haven't heard that, but I think I have seen some is announcement. Is it going to be that. Blue Underground, or would Arrow be getting a hold of that? See, or? that's just it. I, you know, I, I just remember that I saw that it was getting blued. I did not. I don't remember who's doing it. So and you know what will happen since we're both babbling like idiots is that tomorrow <laughs> on Blu-ray.com, all the details will pop up, and people who hear this in a couple of weeks or so will say. 
These guys are morons. These guys are Everybody idiots. knows about Everybody this. Everybody knows. Good God, they're stupid. I saw it on the news. <laughs> really? <laughs> some, scattered amongst the latest bits of scandal from Washington. Yeah. <laughs> Seven deaths in a cat's eyes coming out on Blu-ray. Everyone celebrate. <laughs> God save us, man. All right, all right. So, folks, thank you for listening to us talk about Killer Fish and continue our love affair with Antonio Margheriti. Uh, we will talk to you next time. I have no idea when we will schedule the Seven Deaths and a Cat's Eye uh, podcast, but it will be sometime before this summer is up because, like I say, we're picking up the pace. And I'm all for it. Exactly. So, Plus, now that I'm married, i got to find reasons to get out of the house. Because yeah, that's really. what husbands do. It's like, ah, oh, geez, i got to get away from the old ball and chain. God, I can't just sit out here in the car and pretend I'm not home yet. I better find something <laughs> to actually do. Sit out here and have a little liquid courage before I go in <laughs> and face the rest of the night. God, Laura doesn't listen to these things, does she? Religiously, yes, she does. <laughs> you are fucked. No, I'm... I'm only kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mr. Hudson, once again, thank you very much for joining me to do this. And thank you. It's as always, it's a, it is a pleasure. I love doing these. All right. Well then guys, I am Rod Barnett and I'm John Hudson and we will talk to you next time. See you soon.